Here we go. It's time to ship our schools. Welcome to Season 2 of Shifting Our Schools Podcast. Shifting Our Schools Podcast is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share-alike license. Other words, if you like what you hear, go ahead and use it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah. yourself as we get started here, and uh, we'll just go. Okay. Ahead and yeah. Now listen to a start. David's supposed to be joining us soon. So. Okay. Great. Yeah, that's a good way to go. I think we'll just uh, just start off by sort of yeah doing the usual intro and uh, and whatnot. Look, I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm ancient. Um, <laughs> I've been around for a while. I've. Uh, uh, obviously, been a teacher, um, administrator, head of IT at various schools, a few in the UK, um, also mostly in Australia. And uh, I worked in one school for about 11 years and uh, took it from very much a traditional school into a one-to-one laptop school. We went down that pathway in around about 2000. And at that time, we were probably the first first complete wireless one-to-one laptop school that started in Perth, Western Australia. And uh, it was a a great, successful thing. I was really, you know, um, very passionate about it and uh, worked a lot with the teachers, did did some really, really good things. But then I guess like a lot of things, I got to the stage where I was sort of looking for that next challenge. And um, I sort of had been in the UK and had worked in what seemed like another lifetime. And we... My wife and I sort of discussed the idea of going overseas and we sort of, we were half-hearted about it. We didn't do our research very well. And then what we ended up doing was um, we went looking in papers and I found a re-advertised position over in Hong Kong at an international school. And I guess what happened was I was too ready to, to jump and they were a little bit too ready to accept me. I found myself over in Hong Kong at the school really sort of with a bit of a mismatch. They, um, they sort of weren't doing very much in terms of really embracing the whole school shift. They were more sort of, you know, we've got this great program that's called Microsoft Office and uh, we'd really like you to make sure the kids do word processing spreadsheets and databases until they're done to death. And, of course, you know, that was in 2005 and for me that was driving me a bit crazy. So uh, we parted company after a year and then I ended up going uh, to see if I could actually do something in Hong Kong schools because I could feel that there was a bit of a need. But Hong Kong's, Hong Kong's a very, very interesting place. And, uh, you know, I've come to learn myself because I've gone out now on my own as a sort of a freelance digital learning consultant. Right. And Hong Kong is very, very different to quite a few of the other places. Um, the Education Bureau of Hong Kong lists 46 international primary schools and 24 international secondary schools in Hong Kong. But in fact really a lot of them aren't what you and I would really call international schools 
because I guess for a lot of the schools and especially the Iracos schools that are out there that tend to have a, a very international flavour and, and tend to be for the international or foreign pa- passport holding kids, you find a lot of these schools in Hong Kong are really catering quite a lot to the local kids. Um, you know, even the ESF, which is the biggest show in town, 43% of the ESF co- population is actually local passport holders. And there are some schools in Hong Kong, some of these international schools, that the percentage would be much closer to 100%. And um, because of that, they're, they're very, very different international schools. You know, generally in the playground, the language, language of socialization for quite a few of them is Cantonese, not English. And so uh, they tend to be very, very different types of international schools. And I, I was unaware of that when I landed in Hong Kong. Mm. And, uh, you know, I really thought I was looking for more of the sort of school that I was familiar with. And uh, it was a, an interesting time for me. But, you know, like any challenge, I think with a challenge, there's a little bit of opportunity. And, you know, I thought that a lot of these schools in Hong Kong are, are really looking to shift the bit is that they're looking to do it a little bit more slowly, I think. I think there are some reasons for why they're not, um, they're not really coming on board as quickly as perhaps some of the, the bigger international schools. And I think some of it's partly cultural, but they do, they do want to make the shift. And uh, you know, I've set myself up in this little position. And uh, to tell you the truth, I, I really, really enjoy working with the schools. You know, they're challenging, and the, the challenge is to really get them to think a little bit beyond where they are at the moment, but it's exciting. And I must admit, you know, I, I love every day that I'm working in schools. Um, I wish I was doing more of it. It's it's uh, it's certainly not a certain sort of position like I've had from uh, being an, in an admin position in a school. Right. And I may well find myself back there again in six months. But at the moment, you know, I've been having fun. Uh, my wife has got a good job here in Hong Kong as well. Well, actually, she's in Macau. But, uh, you know... Thing, life's good at the moment, but uh, as I said, challenging sometimes to make the Hong Kong rent. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all know is, you know, pretty expensive. It is indeed, yes. Everything's measured by the square foot here. Yeah. So you've been pretty successful out on your own, just doing stuff no, um, around? Well, look, I've got, I've got a good loyal following. I've got a lot of, a lot of the people I do work for, they... Um, they're very, very happy with the kind of work that I do. Like, you know, I've been doing Web 2.0 workshops. Um, I've done uh, some advising on one-to-one. I've done lots of smart board. And, I mean, every interactive whiteboard I do training on because, really, I don't care about the label. I care more about the pedagogy. Um, so, you know, I mean, that side of it has been unique and, and great and, and really good fun. And as I say, I get a lot of great positive vibes back from the teachers. But... Um, you know, as I said, a lot of the schools are sort of not really um, getting on board as much as, as we'd like to. Uh, you know, a classic example, I was doing some work for a school the other week and uh, and the teacher there was just lamenting the fact. She said, look, you know, here you are, you've got a master's degree and all this experience with one-to-one and whatnot and, you know, it's so difficult to bring you in and get funding for you and yet I can get a, a group of... Um, drama people that are totally unqualified and absolutely useless and the school will bring them in without any problem at all because they label themselves as you know um learning english via drama (laughs) and she said you know they'll throw money at that whereas using technology for learning is still very very much out there in a lot of these schools at the moment Mm, and is that a leadership thing i mean that's kind of tonight's 
that's kind of tonight's you know essential question is where does the admin fit in all this and are you seeing I, that in hong kong is it is it the leadership not putting the focus on on this kind of shift it it varies it varies um i would say again for the majority of schools like Again, we come back to the different types of schools. I think the you know the more uh, internationally based international schools, if we put it that way, right. the, the in, international right. schools that probably have a language of socialisation being English. Let's make that distinction. Those schools are, are on board. They're pretty much on board. You know, some of those have technology integrators in them. Um, they're very forward thinking. They're you know they're away with it. But a lot of the others, a lot of the um, international schools that, that cater a lot for the local kids, they they really don't have a reason to shift. And I think it is the administrators that really are quite a, a bit of the problem there. They they remain to be convinced that this is a good way to go. And I think really that when you think about it, they you, you can almost understand a little bit where they're coming from. I mean, you know... Again, in my humble opinion, I reckon that um, what we're doing is we're often doing a very, very good job of getting out there and talking sort of globally at, uh, at the whole idea of shifting and moving forward and going to a, you know, a, a collaborative, uh, connected, creative sort of curriculum. But I, I think we're doing a little bit too much of an echo chamber. I don't think we're bringing on board the greater masses here. And I... I you know, I, I think our examples sometimes tend to be some of the kids in the primary or middle school years, but we're not, we're sort of almost subconsciously saying to people, it's okay to do that where exams aren't all that important for the kids. But when you get down to the senior years, when those exams are binding, then, you know, for goodness sake, we need to do real learning then. And I, I think that's, that's a bit of a problem. I mean, here in Hong Kong, we're madly, madly running towards the IB diploma. Every school seems to want to offer that. Now, exactly. I don't know whether you know about the IB diploma, but that's a very, very external exam-oriented curriculum. So kids, kids in the IB diploma, you know, aren't really going to be doing the creative, uh, you know, sort of curriculums that, are, that they end up having a lot of their own free choice and having their own direction because the curriculum is very spelled out as far right. as what they've got to study in the external exam. And so consequently, you know, I think a lot of these schools are sort of harking back and saying, well, you know, if we can get a good textbook and we get good learning examples and we make sure these kids are prepared for exams, then, you know, we're doing the right thing. And it, Hong Kong's a place where, you know, it's absolutely full of double-decker buses and the dominant thing on the back of a double-decker bus in Hong Kong is a tutorial school leader because, uh, you know, tutors here are revered and they're the type of people who know how to get you past exams. This is a very exam-oriented sort of culture. And because of that, as I say, the, the leaders don't really want to experiment too much with the curriculum. They're happy to play around the edges, and I think there's a lot of, you know, look, we'll buy interactive whiteboards or we'll put in a learning management system and staff can, you know, as well as telling the kids to record it in their homework diaries, we'll also get them to record their homework on a learning management system. Right. And, you know, in fact, they're doubling the work for the staff, but, in fact, they're not really coming back to sort of do it creatively and say, you know, let let's see what we can sacrifice out of the curriculum and let's see how we can do it better and, and uh, you know, more 
uh, more relevant and, you know, more collaborative and do these sorts of projects that we've been talking about. Absolutely. And I think that's the problem everywhere. I've got John and David standing online, but the only way I can add them that I know how is to hang up with you and add you all to a conference call. Okay. So I'm going to hang up and call you right back. Hey there. How are you doing, I'm David? In. Paul's back. John, are you there? Okay, I'm just closing the door. All right. We're good to go. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> there we go. We finally got everybody on board. So you have to start a conference call at first, and Paul and I were deep in conversation to get the rest of you in. So that's the way it goes. Yes, sorry about that. I'm probably rambling on far too much. Oh, no, it was perfect. You're talking about exactly what our essential question is tonight. How do you get admin to make the shift? Hmm. See, and that's exactly the problem. Nobody wants to talk yeah. about getting the admin to make the shift no. because it's just too tough. I, I, difficult. Think, I think the option is they, they, have, they have to be the first. If they're not the first, forget it. I agree. Mm. And, okay, so, well, we've just kind of heard from Paul kind of what's going on in Hong Kong and his take of the whole thing. And now that John's on board, John, why don't you introduce yourself? I just had an opportunity to present with John at uh, Jakarta. But why don't you kind of go ahead and uh, kind of give us your perspective. And I understand, I mean, I know where you're coming from. So go ahead and kind of give us your perspective on how do you shift with the admin on board? Or is it even possible to make, to shift a school to this new understanding of what is literacy, what is learning if you don't have the admin on board? Well, I, I think, uh, well, my name is John Micton. I'm the director of IT here in Prague. And uh, this is one of my big uh, soapboxes is the whole thing about getting the admin on board before you try to uh, push further an idea or some, some shift to, out to the grasslands, in other words, the teachers and students and parents. Because the, the bottom line is they're the power brokers. They're the ones with all the power, and they're the ones that really control what happens at the end of the day, how much time is given, if the actual structure is changed to accommodate that, and they're the pipeline to the board, which is basically the money. So if you don't have them on board and they don't understand it, it's very hard then to facilitate that shift because they're looking at it from a very kind of not narrow-minded but they don't have all the information so they just have little pieces and I think sometimes that's why you get kind of a spurty spurts and, and stop start to a program so and the challenge is then how do you get time and how do you have the conversation that allows you for them to have a buy-in to the idea that then they will take ownership of and still, with your input, move forward and shift things. And I think that's where the juggling act is. And it's basically a sales. It's, it's about sales, you know, developing social capital that David had shared at the conference and then also the political capital. And I think one of the things to have, and many schools are doing, is that their IT director now is part of their leadership team. So in other words, I am on the same table as the principals and the director, so I have a voice on that table. So when issues come up or if I want to push something, I have this kind of inner circle audience that I can work with and massage and you know tweak, and then it's often much easier. I know a lot of IT directors are on the outside and trying to get in, and I think that makes it more difficult because they're not part of all those other conversations. And 
Often I'm part of conversations that have nothing to do with IT, but I'm building some capital with them by giving input and collaborating and giving my perspectives and also, you know, rolling my sleeves up and helping them out with stuff that they're doing that might be unrelated. But being part of that management team, it's kind of a, a you know, team effort and sometimes you have to do things that have nothing to do with you. So I think that whole process engages you in, in a relationship, then then it's easier to kind of push them to areas that they might be more uncomfortable in. I would agree, but I think we need to be careful when we define an IT director at each school because I think that means so many different things at so many different schools. And I, I think, John, for you specifically, you have an educational background, and I think that is so important that you have somebody that is coming from it from an educational side. What Too often what I see is, sure, there's the IT director is sitting on the leadership team or admin team. The problem is they are a true technology person and they might not have educational background or they might be so far removed from the educational setting because they've been so focused on IT that they don't understand the shift that's being made. I completely agree with you, Jeff. And I think, you know, now and you'll see there are more and more articles regarding what is an IT director. And it's it's no, not as much as a person that's uh, worrying about cable switches and routers. It, it, it's more a, a kind of a manager or a global thinker, somebody that can look on the big picture macro wise and exactly understands what it's like to be a kindergarten teacher or an IB English teacher and having had concrete experience in the classroom. And I think you're seeing more and more schools looking for that type of person when they go recruiting. I think if you have an education background, you are far more marketable as an IT director than, say, five years ago when maybe the focus was, can you fix all these switches? Because now what we're doing is we have network managers and the, the, the structure is changing and the shift is changing where the IT director is really the manager and then there are other people in different roles that actually do the work and, and support them in a collaborative way. And I just wonder how many schools are actually understanding, and maybe David, maybe you can answer this, how many schools do you think actually understand that shift of I guess, for lack of a better word, hierarchy of understanding educationally and technology, what needs to happen now that we have the technology in place and understand that there's a difference between, say, an IT manager and network manager and a person that kind of watches the IT side and this whole other side that's come up on understanding the educational side. David, do you kind of want to answer that? I, I, I think I can. It's it's interesting when you think of a, of a huge school like Shanghai or HKS where that job is just so massive um, that I, I do wonder if the educational leaders are able to see that there's the technical side and then there's the educational side and then, as, as you all are pointing out, the management side. Even someone with a MBA kind of background needs. We had Francis Thong there in HKS, and he had all three. We were very fortunate. And, and I wonder with uh, budgets potentially getting cut back a little bit now with the slowing world economy. If folks are, are looking for that holy grail, that, that person that can do it all, and you're lucky if you can get a John Nickton there. But I, I wonder, John, if you went to a, a school three times as large, it, it would just seem to me so overwhelming. So that's where I wonder, um, can you, are schools up for hiring someone? Put another question out there. For hiring that, that person that's the technical person and potentially the, the, a second person that's on the educational side, but then I guess you've got to decide who's going to manage the whole process. Um, oh, I think that's a I good point, David. 
Go ahead, yeah, John. I, I think you know, in some schools what they're doing is they ha actually have what they call an IT curriculum director, and, and they're different labels. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, the labels really don't matter, but I think they're addressing what you're bringing up, David, is that they have somebody that looks at the pedagogy and kind of the integration aspects of it, and they're in charge of that, and then there's somebody else that does the management aspects. I agree, in, the, in a big Asian school like Hong Kong or Bangkok or Jakarta, I, I would be hesitant to apply for those jobs because I know what I love to do, I wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. I just want to come back to saying before, though, you know, the one, one of the things I was talking about before uh, you other gentlemen joined us was the fact that, um, you know, in Hong Kong, there's a lot of very small international schools. And the difficulty is that I don't think that they're in the position to actually start hiring these sorts of people that you're talking about, John. And, um, you know, I, I think what they've got to do, and that, that's the whole point of this, is the admin need to kind of shift themselves. They've got to see that they've got to take these people on or at least not take the, you know, if not take these people on, at least grow the support for the people that are in there. That's the important thing I think, you know, that we need to do because one of the great difficulties I think with this whole one is that if we're only bringing some of the top schools on, the biggest schools and the schools that can afford to have an IT integration person, then what are we saying about the rest of the schools out there in the world, you know? Is it only going to be these top schools that can afford to ship? No, but I think it's going to be the top. I think it's going to be the top schools that are going to lead the way, and and I think that's sure. what we need. We need somebody that's going to step out and lead the way. When you're talking smaller schools that can afford an IT director, then you're right. You're going to need an administrator, a principal, or a superintendent who I believe needs to step up and start hiring the people within the school to make the shift happen. And I think that's understanding, right? First, you have to have a, a superintendent or a principal who understands the kind of person that needs to be hired, and then you have to go find that person. You know, as, as we're getting ready to get into the recruiting fair here internationally, are, you know, do administrators have their eye open for that type of person? And specifically in smaller schools where you won't have the built-in support. Like here at, you know, here at Bangkok, we've got an IT director who manages all of the IT side. Like I never touch a server. I never think about it. I go to him and complain when the Internet's slow. He fixes it. And then we have, you know, an elementary technology person who's me and i just focus on professional development with teachers and you know embedding stuff in the classroom and then we have a middle school person that just focuses on the middle school that's chad bates and we have dennis harder who just focuses on the high school we have more support here than i've ever seen at any other school yet we also have administration specifically in the elementary school who when they go out and hire they understand the kind of teacher they are looking for that understands what you know literacy means today understands what kind of skills kids need today and they're going out and hiring people like that and to me that is more beneficial for a school than actually having my position in place mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you on that one <laughs> John, let me jump in back. You've hit, hit on okay, so many hold things on. there. Uh, let me, let me, uh, you know what? I have to move somewhere else because I'm in my office and we're going to get a lot of interruptions. Just hold on a second. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hold on. Paul, back, just... back. Paul, let me ask, uh, ask you a question. Back to the, okay, I'm back to the sorry. small schools. Go for it, okay, well, David. Uh, all right, Paul. Yeah, Paul, let me ask you back to the small schools and um, – Working back to the point of these administrators, I think uh, John hit such a big point, that conversation 
and having the time for conversation, and then a lack of knowledge or other things that get in the way for a, a leader to say, yes, I really buy into that. And I'm going to make a connection to um, uh, what Jeff's been doing. He, recently, he was there with John in Jakarta helping, helping the school there look over its mission, its vision, and say, hey, this is a bit dated. We really have to look this in, in over and decide what is it that we're, we're teaching to? What is the learning all about in our school? And I think that's where so much of it starts. So I wonder, one of the steps that we need to take with reluctant administrators is to sit down and say, let's pull out that mission. Let's pull out our student learning outcomes and say, are these what we want to be working towards? Is this, is this what our school is about right now in 2008? Or is this we pass this, or is does this make sense, but we're just not doing it? And let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. And what is what is critical thinking? What is problem solving? What does inquiry education look like? And I, I think that having that conversation is the place to start, but it, it, connecting to one's mission is so important because obviously that's what curriculum is supposed to go to. So I'll, I'll kind of throw that out for, for you, Paul, and having discussions with with school leaders and seeing are they in the ball game when it comes to connecting their missions to what they're teaching in the classrooms? Yeah, I was. I just, I, it's an excellent point, uh, David. I was just saying to um, to Jeff earlier on. You know, one of the the things uh, we again we seem to have a, a an interesting scenario in Hong Kong that we've got a, a handful of really good onboard schools that are doing some things, but a lot of international schools. that really aren't. And as I said, a lot of them are, are very exam results sort of oriented. And, you know, it's, it, it, as I said, one of, the, one of the things that I think that we're not really doing as, as we're starting to sort of do a lot of preaching to the choir, as I might call it, is we, we're not really assisting a lot of those administrators to see that point that you're talking about, to draw the dots between a good you know, mission statement where we want to develop the whole child and make sure that they're collaborating and that they're creative and they're doing all these bits and pieces. We're not joining that to successful outcomes. The, the, the big driver for a lot of the parents in Hong Kong, and it happens in quite a few of the other schools, is getting into an Ivy League university. And as Will Richardson yeah. quoted George Lucas this week as saying, universities are the core of the problem. There's nothing more that conservative than schools of education, was George Lucas's quote. And, you know, and, and that is still part of the problem, is that the, uh, is the universities are still out there basically saying, you know, we want to see you recite the first 20 elements of the periodic table, or we want you to prove that you can do quadratic equations, you know, to the whatever order, but they're not really saying we want you to be able to communicate, collaborate, be creative, do all those sort of bits and pieces. Um, you know, and I was saying again to, to Jeff that, you know, if, if you take the IB diploma, for example, the IB diploma is a very structured curriculum. It's not open-ended. It's not so, it's something where you study a body of knowledge and you, you give that body of knowledge back again and, you know, in an externally based exam. And, you know, when, when we've got this in place, then an administrator can easily fall back on that and say, look, you know, how, is, how am I getting rewarded by stepping out, by putting my neck on the line and doing a creative, collaborative, 
you know, open-ended curriculum. And I think that's Great. part of the problem. I don't think it's so much universities. There's already universities out there that are saying we will no longer take the SAT score. And my problem is, is I see too many schools hiding behind this exact thing you're talking about, Paul. They hide behind the IB and they say, hey, look, our kids are already in the top, you know, 5% of IB scores. Yep. We don't need to change. We're already doing it. I want, to, I want to work for an administrator that's willing to step up and say, no, the IB is out of date. We are no longer going to do the IB. I don't think your kids are going to suffer if they're not getting you know, a big score on the IB exam. I think colleges are starting to understand, and not all colleges, but you know, when you have MIT and you have Harvard and you have Yale who are you know, in iTunes University freely giving away courses and they've started to yep. say the SAT is not the only thing we're looking at. Your IB score is not the only thing we're looking at. We want kids that are creative. We want kids that know how to collaborate. That I think we're getting to a point where it's a thing like the IB that is kind of being a blocker because they're not making the shift. I mean, it's just this year that you just now have to turn in your oral languages for foreign language as an MP3 file. I mean, ah. that, that's, that we've gone from the tape to an MP3 file. And that's just, I mean, <laughs> to me, that's ridiculous. It's like, yeah. so this is the reason now, all of a sudden, all over the IB world, we have all these, you know, all these language learning folks that are all of a sudden just now learning how to run Audacity, learning to run GarageBand. And they're not learning to run it to enhance the the classroom they're learning they're learning to do it because that's how they have to turn in the audio file for the kids for the ib exam it's for an assessment and it's for an assessment that if they truly looked at what you could do with that mp3 file and you had kids making mp3s from the very first day of class and you were producing the stuff for i for itunes that would completely change learning for your kids in your classroom but we don't we don't go beyond that and i see too often and, you know, part of what the IB is about is IB is supposed to be inquiry-based. It's supposed to be open-ended. And, yes, the problem is, part of the problem is, is it's still very the, – the, the test is still on pen and paper. And that's the issue <clears throat> is that we have a curriculum that asks kids to think. Like theory of knowledge is all about thinking and, and how is knowledge created and what are the – what do we know about knowledge and kids putting their, their yep. ideas out there. But at the end of the day, they go take a paper-pencil test. And I think that's that's the problem is it's things like the IB that somebody has to stand up and say, you are not right for education. Therefore, we're not going to do it. And I want to find an administrator that's willing to do that. Utah's not doing No Child Left Behind because to them, they saw that it was not educationally found. And they're just not doing it. And you know what? Their kids have not suffered. I yeah, think it's fantastic. going to be very hard in this climate to find an administrator that's willing to drop the IB. I think there are administrators that very likely understand what you're saying and agree with you, Jeff. But then you, you're talking about a whole parent community and perceptions of what, you know, uh, the, the hoops that kids need to jump through to get to Harvard. I think it, it, it's, it's an important shift. But I'm not sure that an administrator is equipped to do this alone. I mean, it really has to be a, a deep, connected, and collaborative change pushed from the board and all the teachers for it to happen. Because the, the, the shrapnel from this could be really painful for somebody going off on their own. And I totally, and not- I totally agree with that. So that leads me to my next question. How many of us are taking the time to unlearn and relearn our school communities? Because that is where the holdup is. That is where the holdup is. And I, 
you know, I said it, John, when at my keynote over in Jakarta, you know, we know what we know, therefore we know it. And that's the problem that our parents went through an educational system and they were very successful. And so they know sure. what education should look like for their son or daughter. And what we need to do is we need to help them unlearn what education was like and help them relearn what education is going to be. And how many of us are spending time retraining our communities so that this shift can happen? I think there, there, there is a beginnings of that, especially, I think, with the whole uh, issue of, you know, laptop programs and Web 2.0. And I think those are vehicles to start having those conversations, explaining where parents basically want you to come up with a solution to block Facebook. And actually what you're doing is saying, no, Facebook is good. And then kind of explain to them that, you know, turn it around instead of saying no it's it's bad saying it's good and here are why and here's some reasons and i think the other thing that's happening and jeff you've been doing this is going to these admin conferences regional admin conferences i think it's key because if we get more people going there the this topic is seen as a keynote and is mm. seen as the most important topic as far as i know at the Coast keynote i didn't see anything about atlas or curriculum it was you know alan november i mean so i think once that starts happening more and it's in the forefront you're going to get administrators coming back to their schools with those ideas and then maybe we'll be more comfortable i think if we can really start targeting admin conferences and having workshops and conversations and facilitating and planting the seed it's going to be an extremely slow ice age process but i think it's a good place to start and i think already in these regional conferences we're seeing more and more it focus and I think administrators are starting to understand or are starting to be aware they, they need to start understanding. I agree. You know, this was my second year doing the Iricos Admin Conference, and I had somewhere between 30 and 40 people at every one of my sessions. And the wireless wasn't working very good. Like, it wasn't reliable. It was on one minute, off one minute. And it was getting to the point where even the administrators in the room were saying, this is ridiculous. And so... That's, you know, I think, I think we're getting to a point where that's going to, that's going to happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm on my way to the e, uh, ECIS admin conference. So I think you're right, John. I think that we have to start hitting these regional admin conferences so that we can start to make the focus there. And the other and I, thing I is, the other... and I think it's really, it's really good that the thing that we need to do is we need to set that vision because, you know, like, I've seen some of these things. I mean, you know, back in Australia, we had the one-to-one laptop programs back in the late 80s. You know, though, we, we had a long run of those. And the big issue that we had, and I'm seeing a little bit of that here in Hong Kong at the moment, we have a lot of people who take it on for part of the wrong reasons. And John, I agree with you. That shift of these, you know, the Web 2.0, the interactive whiteboards, the the one-to-one laptop programs, they're all really, really good. But there's a danger that what you're doing is you're putting these on top of an already packed curriculum. And what we're doing is we're using a laptop to do what we were doing before. The, um, you know, the whole Mark Prensky thing of saying we're doing old things in old ways. We, we're still yeah. just doing it. And I see that as the greatest waste. You know, I mean, I almost shed a tear when I go in and see kids trying to do things on laptops that are just mass exercises on a PDF. You know, for God's sake, use a pen and paper. It's much easier with your math symbols. You know, why are we trying to, <laughs> why are we trying to do this? This is silly. You're not trying to do it. You're, you're actually trying to do a different kind of learning. And that's the message we need to get out. 
And I think often, and I, 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 I've, I do audits, and I, I see that with a lot of schools, they have suddenly decided by putting a laptop program, it's going to change the curriculum. Instead of mm. changing the curriculum first and saying, okay, now we need to bring the laptops in because we can't deliver exactly. this curriculum. And I think that that's, you know, it's, yeah, it's amazing how often schools will just put a bunch of laptops because they think the process of the laptops will make the difference. That is so true. It is so true. You know, it's exactly what we did. We had a long lead-up period before, before you know, look, I go back, our one-to-one laptop program started in 2000, and I got an agreement from the, uh, the principal at the time that I wanted at least six months to train the staff and to get the idea out there and to debate that very question as why we're actually going down the road of one-to-one laptops. Okay. And basically we got that. And we had quite a successful program. And I see some people here that are basically taking laptops on board without even any time. They're not even, you go to their websites, you can't see anything about the philosophy of why they're doing this. They're apparently just getting the laptops because it's what they should be getting. (laughs) Crazy stuff. And that worries me. You know, when I was at the Iroquois Admin Conference, I met with business managers. And out of the 26 schools that were in the room, 12 of them were already were one-to-one. And the other 14 were going there in the next two years. Well, I, I, could, I, could give you, I could give you three schools here in Hong Kong. And I could get you to go to their website. And I could say to you, what I could do is I could set you a challenge. I could give you 10 schools and say, which of those 10 schools have three laptop programs in them? And you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know because there is nothing on their website to say why they're doing it, what it's about, what their vision is or anything like that. They're just really basically putting in these things. And, you know, we do it with laptops. We do it with whiteboards. We do it with learning management systems. We just put this stuff in. But we don't think about why we're doing it. And as I say, that's the scary part, John, is that we just shove that in and it becomes yet another thing to beat teachers over the head with and say, why are you not using this? Exactly. And I, and I think suddenly, you know, everybody's kind of on the panic wagon. Oh, we don't have a laptop program. And everybody's rushing in. And if they're just, you know, putting laptops to replace desktops, then, well, then don't even bother. You know, I mean, I think yeah. your point's really important. It's, it's mm-hmm. suddenly this, this one-to-one laptop is kind of the new, like, I must have that. You know, keeping up with the Joneses and not really, it's about learning. And as Jeff has said, you know, it's about unlearning, relearning and until we're ready to do that, don't bring in the technology because it's not going to – you're just going to continue. You might as well with paper and pencil or a desktop. It doesn't change anything. I agree. I agree. I think, you know, the, the thing for people like ourselves, the frustration is that things on the outside world are moving so fast and things within our institutions, international schools, tend to move much slower. And I, I don't think it is – we have maybe ourselves done a good enough job or I don't know who it is to explain the urgency of this. I, I think administrators don't understand that this is somewhat of an urgent issue and that if they keep on going like this, the, the disconnect is going to get so big, it will be hard to, even to start thinking what we can do to catch up. And, and I, th- I think that idea of urgency and that this is – they kind of almost see it as something that's happening and it's going to happen down the road. This happened two days ago, and we're in catch-up mode. And I think sometimes that the idea of urgency and, and really saying, you know, don't, don't – you need to drop everything and focus on this. And I'm not sure how to translate that in a way that's ex- that they're as well received and people are going to have buy-in and they don't feel like they're being pushed into a corner. And that's the trick is what language and what conversations and venues do you 
create an atmosphere where people are willing to suddenly jump in a new environment. Or you carry a bat with you called the thinking stick and you just start hitting people over the head until they submit. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good... So here, let's kind of, I, I, I want to kind of wrap up this conversation and I think this is a good way to wrap it up. I, I, I have the opportunity next, next Tuesday night, I get to speak to the school board for 30 minutes. And I've been invited by the school board, or not I, but the educational technology team here at ISB has been invited by the school board to talk for 30 minutes. But they want a 10-minute presentation and 20 minutes of discussion, which I think is, a, is really good because I want to be able to answer their questions. If you have 10 minutes to talk to your school board to help them to understand, A, the urgency, B, what needs to happen, how do you, how do you approach them? What would be your kind of outline or what would it be that you think that you would want to make sure the point that they got i think i would a, never so we're going to start let's start Sorry. let's start with david david can go first okay and then paul yeah. and then john I, yes okay. i'm just going to i'll just cover a little bit my old thing i keep always talking about is the curriculum um and that you get everybody the right people in there and uh, back to what jeff you're you're spreading in the blogosphere to get people to rethink their mission statements and really what is learning and what is the type of learning we need for the future. If you, if you can get that going, and what I'm hearing from John is you've got to have those conversations, you've got to have the right people, hopefully getting into those board meetings and making the connections with the top administrators that to, to open up a school like Jakarta just did to say, let's bring in some people to help us. We look at everything that we're doing, where we're going, but then getting into your action steps of embedding your for your virtual technology to the librarians um, towards those uh, enduring understandings that are going to get us to the to the mission statements, newly created mission statements. So that that would just be a real a little quick response that I would have. Paul. Yeah. Look, um, one of the things that I, I reckon that I, I would be looking at. From your point of view, Jeff, would be the sort of thing that uh, people have been referring to with Clayton Christensen's new about disrupting class. And I think one of the, the great things that he talks about, he, he makes some great analogies with those disruptive technologies like the landlines and you know other things that have actually gone the way of history because another technology has come along and replaced them. And I think you know John was alluding to that as well. We need to basically really say to people, look, this is serious. It's not just, you know, that we can go on this way and it's, you know, we don't have to worry about it for 10, 15, 20 more years. We have a group of people that are out there and it's not only our kids, it's business, it's day-to-day, -day, it's everybody that is using the internet and using technology in new and creative ways and just reinventing learning, reinventing living. And I think we need to say to these parents, you know, we are really educating your children, not for our past, but for their future. So we want them to be part of this world. And, you know, there's a lot of great things in Christensen's book about disrupting class that, you know, mention that. And I think, uh, you know, I'd be taking that line. Okay. John? I think the one thing is I would make sure you never mention the word technology, and it's and you, you do a good job of that, Jeff, is, is about learning. The other thing is let's translate. These guys that are on the board are businessmen, and they're working in the flat world economy. They 
what's going on. They have to because they, their companies don't make money if they're not part of the flat world. So kind of create a, a, a setting where you translate that and say, this is what schools, I mean, this is the people that we're actually producing right now are not getting ready for the flat world. And this unlearning, relearning, and the various areas that we're covering right now in this last 40 minutes encapsulate them as that's where we need to go because you know where we are today and kind of bridge that gap of where their world is and where the school world is and explain that there's this, there's this gap and how we need to bring that gap together. And it's not about technology. They're just the tools. It's about rethinking the way we learn. Yeah. Good. I think those were three Excellent. great points. All right, David, anything else we need to cover tonight? I think that's pretty good. I, I, it's just been excellent. I'm just wondering if we want to take a moment and, and hear folks have a, a blog post or a book or something that they wanted to share with the audience. Uh, and well, I, I, just, I sent you guys the link to uh, my blog post, and I wrote something on this topic uh, last night, so people can always go and check that out. It's beyond digital. Excellent. Okay, excellent. I'll add that to the show notes. Paul, you, Paul no, do you on. have something? David, I uh, I want to actually share with you a um, a post. It's actually not a blog post, but if you go to that website I've just put in the chat room there, it's the, the uh, Anytime, Anywhere Learning Foundation. And a good friend and mentor of mine, Bruce Dixon, actually heads that up. And uh, I just noticed that Bruce had been presenting at a conference down in Singapore, and uh, I just picked it up on, I think it was uh, Kim Cofino's uh, post today or she it was a twitter or something that she set out and i saw bruce's presentation i haven't caught up with bruce for a while so i darted over to that site and saw that he'd been commenting on christensen's book and some other comments out there and uh, bruce is a very very switched on guy he was behind the original laptop programs that took place in the mid to late 80s at uh, mlc in melbourne and he's been with the change all the way through and he's a passionate advocate for appropriate use of technology for learning and uh, really, really switched on guy and, and, you know, as I said, incredibly passionate. And, uh, yeah, worth going and having a look at the two posts that they have there on the latest issues. Bruce has written about uh, researching and appropriate research and also he's, uh, he's written about um, disrupting thought and he's written about Clayton Christensen's book again. So, I, you know, I'd recommend those posts to people. They're, they're very good and very easy to read. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I All right. will recommend a book, actually, that I picked up at the library the other day. And it's actually, you'll be very impressed. It's actually a hardcover, real, true book for those of you that are wondering. Uh, it's called ID, The Quest for Identity in the 21st Century by Susan Greenfield. And I'm only about two chapters into it. And she goes way in depth into uh, brain research and what we now understand about the brain. And... I literally at points can only read one or two pages and then I have to walk away because she talks about the uh, like periodic tables of silicone, which of course is made mostly of transistors and stuff. And the actual brain matter is only one. They're next to each other on the periodic table. And because they're so closely related that you can actually grow brain matter on a silicon transistor. And so what does that mean when we're talking about replacing parts of the brain? And it's interesting because throughout the whole book, she compares brain waves and the way that knowledge and information and the brain works to 
kind of what the web has become and the communities that the web allows. And so it'll be interesting to see as, as I go through the book how she is using this, what we understand the brain to be, and tying that into how we understand that this unbelievable organism called the Internet works and how they are so closely related and what does that mean for causing identity in the 21st century. And when I picked up the book and started just browsing it, at the, li- uh, at the bookstore, the one line that made me buy it was, for the first time in the history of humankind, we have to rethink what privacy means. We've never had to, re- we never had, we've never had to look at privacy. Like we are having to take a deep look at, at what privacy means today. And it was that line that made me buy the book. And so I'm interested to kind of see where she's going with this. Um, but so far, it is a fascinating book just on the basis of what we understand the brain to be and the brain research that's come out of just, say, the last four years. So it's it's a pretty amazing book if you see that in the in the bookstore. Excellent, mm. excellent. Well, speaking of books, um, I'll continue on that theme. Uh, McTyne and Wiggins, we all know they're different UBD books and workbooks, but they have out their book "Schooling by Design: Mission, Action, and Achievement." Just with recent discussions, and I, I know Jeff with your um, presentation there in Jakarta, just was a good connection. I'm just such a believer that if if you're really going to follow your mission, you've got to come up with a step to get there. And it's just got to be a big part of your curriculum process. And if you have an online curriculum mapping tool that you have drop-down menus that, that pull the, uh, the mission learning outcomes right there, and you've got, you're held accountable. You, you, you build a design that's going to make you say, we're teaching this this social studies unit, but one one of our outcomes is problem solving. So how are we going to put the kids in a problem solving situation? So uh, it's a good book and makes you makes you think um, big and broad about where your school is going and how it's designed. Excellent. All right, gentlemen. Another one. Oh, go for it, John. No, there's the other one is Walking the Talk and by Caroline, and I just need to quickly find her last name. It's about, uh, you know, when you make change, about how often it's a cultural shift, that actually school cultures need to change, not just, you know, the way you think. It's a cultural change, the way people interact, the way they collaborate, the way they think about themselves, the way their comfort zones. And, and she does a wonderful job of uh, delineating how schools and organizations can engage with that process and what are kind of the, the, the landmines on the way and what you can do to prepare yourself. And it's Walk the Talk. Uh, let me quickly see where I've got it here. Walk the talk home. You're still at school, right, John? I'm. It's midday here. We're dealing with all kinds of lovely stuff. Oh, lucky you! <laughs> no, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But no, we're we're just you know, we're uh, walk the talk. Uh, yes, and uh, walk the talk. Sorry, guys. I'm giving you a lull here. That's all right. You know, I'll look it. I'll look uh, it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, oh, here it is. It's by Carolyn Taylor, Carolyn. "Walking the Talk." All right. Good it's Excellent. very well done. It's very well done because I think you know we're all talking about also uh, people changing their culture. They've developed an industrial age culture around education, and now we're talking about a Web 2.0 culture and there the things of privacy and the way people interact online and offline. This is a huge cultural chip, shift, and whenever there's a cultural shift, there's a lot of angst and fear and apprehension and how to create an environment where 
people know that if they fall, there's going to be something to catch them, and it's okay to make mistakes and feel scared. It's okay to make mistakes? Oh, brother. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Okay. Uh, thank you, guys, for a great show. That was fantastic. Thank you. Good. Uh, John, we will let you get back to your workday because I'm sure as at any school, you've probably had two servers crash, the internet's not working, and there's a teacher banging down your door. So, We don't have that problem because we're an Apple school. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Well. We got that plug in. Oh. Last minute, didn't we? Yeah, I had Man, to throw that plug in. You were looking for it. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Paul, thank you for joining us, uh, and we hope to have you back, both of you, hopefully to have you back in the future at other shows. Yes. David, it's always Excellent. a pleasure. Thanks for uh, hanging in yeah, there, guys, buddy. as I was a little bit late tonight running from Thai lessons to get home to do this. So uh, that's the way it goes. But thank you, everybody. Until next time, keep shipping on school. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Oh, no problem. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, David. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. See you, Enjoy it. Bye, John. Bye, Jeff. All right. See ya. Jeff, what can you say in Thai, buddy? Uh, I can say hello, goodbye, turn left, turn right. How's that?